Good morning. It's so good to see you here this morning. So thankful you've chosen to be with us. You'll note this morning that we don't have a PowerPoint. We do have one, but the PowerPoint back in the back decided it likes to preach itself, and so it only gives certain slides. Matter of fact, we were trying to work on a little while ago, and it changed several of them all to the same one. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but what I'll try to do this morning is to keep you up whenever we have a blank. I'll try to make sure that you know uh, that you have a word that will uh, be to fill in with that blank. Now I want you to imagine something with me this morning. I want you to imagine being tired. Some of you may be tired this morning, you may have worked or you may have stayed out late last night or something, so you may be tired this morning. But I'm not talking about just being a little bit tired, I'm talking about being bone tired. You know what I'm talking about there, you've been working, you've been going, you haven't slowed down, it's been days, weeks, months, and, and now you're just worn out, you're weary, maybe even a little bit hungry at this particular time. And when you begin to get that picture, if you've ever been in that condition, when you begin to get that picture, then you probably understand how Jesus and his disciples felt at the time that we're going to be talking about this morning. In the book of Mark, chapter 6, at verse number 31, Jesus makes this statement to his apostles, to the ones who were the men who were there with him. The Bible says, He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, And rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. People were surrounding them. They they were there all the time. The crowd was with Jesus. The apostles themselves had already been sent out by Jesus to the surrounding areas, according to verse number 30 of this chapter, and they had just returned back to Jesus. And so in their travels, you know, they didn't just hop on a bus or get on a train or get on a plane or get even in a car. They had to walk. And so, you know, they've been on these long trips. They've been working while they were there and preaching the gospel. And now they've just gotten back, according to verse number 30, The crowds again were around Jesus and they were wanting to be healed by him. They were wanting to hear what he had to say according to verse number 31. Add to that that Jesus himself had just lost his cousin John, John the baptizer, to execution. And so there's a lot that's going on in the lives of these men. You might imagine at this time in their life, with all of these things going on, with all of the things that that are confronting them, that these men, including Jesus, were perhaps somewhat um, not only weary, but maybe even to the point of being a little bit burned out. Maybe even peopled out. You know, you ever had a time when you were tired and you just didn't want to be around anybody, just wanted to go home and rest? And not only that, but they needed a break. And Jesus recognized that when he said to them, come away apart by yourself. Jesus understood the nature of mankind. But then, not only that, we find that they did decide to go when Jesus invited them. They got in a boat to go to a desolate place, verse number 32 of Mark chapter 6. They got in there, but guess what? The people who were surrounding Jesus, they, they saw that he and the others had gotten in the boat and they began to run around the edge of the sea and they actually outran Jesus and his apostles to get to the other side. 
According to verse number 33, the Bible says, Many saw them going and recognized them. They ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And so when Jesus and his apostles get to the other side, what do they see? Verse 34 of that chapter says, When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now I want you to be real honest with yourself this morning. What would you have thought, what would you have done if you stepped out of that boat like Jesus and the apostles did and saw what Jesus and the apostles saw. They're trying to get away. They have gotten in the boat to go to a desolate place. The people have seen them going. They have outrun them to get there. And when they step out of the boat, here's this great crowd. What would you, be honest with yourself this morning, what would you have thought? What would you have done? I don't know about you, but I think it would be easy to think I wish these people just go home and leave us alone. Uh, wouldn't that be a temptation to think that? Wish they'd just go home. You know, they won't leave us alone. Wish they would go home and just leave us alone. It'd probably also be that temptation to be a little short with folks, right? Maybe even to be a little bit rude to them. Maybe, maybe even because you're so tired... You'd perhaps even lash out and say, hey folks, leave us alone for a while. There would be that temptation. I, I can see that. You know what? These things only were a temptation or would be a temptation because we'd be looking inward. And we have that temptation to look inward and see only ourselves, don't we? When we look, a lot of times we don't see the people around us. We just see our needs. We feel our needs. We know what we want. We know the things that affect us. And so we have that tendency to, to look inside, to look only at us. However, the Bible tells us when Jesus saw them, he had compassion on them. You see, even with all they had going on, Jesus took this opportunity to look outward. There's your first blank. Jesus took time to look outward to see the people, to see the ones who had run around the edge, to, be, to meet them when they got there. Jesus took time to look outward. What I want us to do this morning for just a few minutes is to look at some observations regarding Jesus' outward look. And then we'll talk about ourselves a little bit, make some application. There are four things about Jesus that I want us to see. Number one this morning, we see Jesus' consciousness of the crowd. When he looked out and saw, he saw the crowd. He, he had some consciousness. There's your blank. He had consciousness of the crowd. I want you to think about the wording that's used there. The Bible says, English Standard Version, he saw a great crowd. If you were to open that up and read from the King James Version, the Bible simply says in the King James, translated in this way, he saw much people. The word that's translated crowd in the English Standard Version is 
often translated people as well in the, in the same version, Mark chapter 7, verse 14, verse 17, chapter 11 in the book of Mark, verse number 32, chapter 12 at verse number 12, and on I could go. And so we see he saw a crowd, he saw much people. You know, I'm sure that Jesus saw a large number of people, but I can't help but wonder this morning if he saw the people. And he didn't just see a, a big group, did he see the people themselves? Did he see the individuals who had individual needs in their lives? People who were hurting, people who needed things from him, who perhaps were sick and maybe even had been sick for a long time. Maybe they couldn't walk, maybe they couldn't um, uh, do other things. Did Jesus just see a big group or did he see the people? I'm inclined to believe this morning that he not only saw the big group, he saw the individuals as well. Isn't that really the way that God sees? Even today, isn't that the way that God sees? In the book of Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 6 and going through verse number 7, the Bible says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Well, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you're of more value than many sparrows. You see, Jesus or God in heaven, they don't just look down and see over three billion people on this earth, seven billion people, eight billion now, whatever it is. He doesn't just look down and see a crowd. He sees individuals, doesn't he? And not just individuals, Jesus informs us that God knows how many hairs you have on your head. Some of you, you know, don't have as much time to take up with God and Him counting your hairs on your head, but think about the fact that He knows that. How many of us know ourselves that well? God knows us better than we know ourselves, and God knows each one of us like that. And so when he looks down from heaven, he doesn't just see a multitude of people. He doesn't just see a crowd. He sees individual people on the earth. Even on earth, Jesus was able to see as God sees. You remember upon several occasions, he was able to look and to see the hearts of individuals as God sees. And I have no reason to believe this day was any different when he saw the crowds. But number two this morning, not only do we see Jesus' consciousness of the crowd, we also see Jesus' comprehension of the crowd. The comprehension of the crowd. Notice what he said about them in verse number 34. When he saw that crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. You know, I looked up sheep and tried to find some of the things in regard to them. One of the descriptions that I found about sheep goes like this. Sheep are dumb and dirty. Sheep are shy and nervous. Sheep are weak and vulnerable. They're very susceptible to getting lost getting injured. They literally do not know enough to come in out of the rain. 
literally. They're very dependent on someone to care for them, to provide, to protect, to give them the things that they need. And so as we look, as Jesus looked, he saw this group of people, and he says they're like sheep, each one of them having these characteristics. Jesus calls these people sheep. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know anybody who fits this description? Like sheep who have gone astray? Think about that of the people that you know. But have you watched the news lately? To see the multitudes of people, of the crowds of people, all of the things that are reported in the news. Political scandals. Racial tension. Terrorism. School shootings. Sexual misconduct on every, at every turn. Add to that this, there's a lot of uncertainty in our world, a lot of anxiety in our world, a lot of distrust in our world. All of these things. Mind you, Jesus was not saying this, that they were sheep without a shepherd to be insulting to them. That wasn't his point at all. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, at verse number 6, the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. You may recognize the chapter which talks about sheep and us being sheep, people being sheep. Isaiah chapter 53 you may realize what else is in Isaiah chapter 53. That's the chapter that describes Jesus as God's servant who is crucified for us. You see, when Jesus looks out over the crowd and he saw them and he says they're like sheep going astray, he's not being mean. He's not saying bad things about them. He understands them. And he knows what he needs to do for them. And so as we look... These people that Jesus saw lacked wisdom and strength, but so do we. These people had a tendency to go their own way and do their own thing, but you know what? So do we. This old world is still filled with lost sheep who need a shepherd. When Jesus looked, he comprehended the crowd. What? They needed. But then number three this morning, we see Jesus' consideration. That's your next blank. We see his consideration toward the crowd. The Bible simply says in verse number 34, he had compassion on them. Now, in another passage that talks about Jesus looking at people, not the same occasion, but on another pa- in another passage, Jesus again makes that statement, they're like sheep having gone astray. In Matthew chapter 9, at verse 36, the Bible says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. No wonder he had compassion on these people. He saw the needs that each one had. He saw that they were harassed, that they were helpless. What does that mean? The word harassed in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, 
literally means to flay. What does it mean to flay something? Not fillet, but flay, F-L-A-Y. The word flay means to peel the skin off. To peel the skin off. That's what, that's what it means. The Bible says Jesus saw these people that they were harassed. They had the skin peeled off, if you were. Not literally speaking. They hadn't, hadn't been somebody hadn't taken something and pulled the skin off. But they were so worn down by life that they had the hide rubbed off. So rubbed down by life and, and all of the challenges and the hurts and the problems of life that they were raw in their own selves. They were sore from living. Because you know what, folks? Sometimes life hurts, doesn't it? Some of us have experienced the hurts of life. Not only does Jesus say they were harassed, but they were helpless. Strong's in his uh, New Testament dictionary says that word means to be cast down and scattered. Cast down and scattered. That very same word is used in Matthew chapter 27 at verse number 5. You may remember that Judas was given 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. But do you remember what he did with those 30 pieces of silver? In Matthew chapter 27 at verse 5, he comes back, tries to give it back to them. They, they won't take it. The Jews won't take it. And verse 5 says, And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went, and he hanged himself. Can you imagine that scene for a moment this morning? When Jesus goes back, tries to give that money back to them, they won't take it, and so he throws it down. That money hits the ground, scatters. That's what Jesus says about these people. They've been thrown down by life. They've been scattered out by Satan, as it were. Satan does his best to knock us down, to keep us down, doesn't he? Isn't that what he was trying to do with Job so long ago? What makes us think that he's given up, even on us? That's what Jesus saw as he considered this crowd. The Bible says he had compassion upon them. What does it mean to have compassion? Again, that word is defined as to have the bowels yearn, figuratively, to feel sympathy or pity, to be moved with compassion. You see, Jesus didn't just see the great needs of the crowd. He felt them too. He felt it within himself. Thus, the Bible says he had compassion. He had, word translated in different places, pity upon them. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 <coughs> says this. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus can feel for these people just like he can feel for you and me because he had experienced life. 
He had compassion upon them. He felt their pain, if you will. Jesus experienced the hurt of betrayal and of rejection. He wept at the grave of a friend. He suffered beyond imagination as He hung on the cross. Jesus had compassion on this group of people. But next, we see Jesus' counsel for the crowd. That's your next blank. Jesus had some counsel for the crowd. Again, back in Mark chapter 6 at verse 34, the Bible says, having seen this great group of people, this crowd, he had compassion on them. And what did he do? Well, he began to teach them many things. Odd reaction, isn't it? He sees all of the hurt and he begins to teach. We may think it's odd, but in reality it's not. Don't you wonder what Jesus taught on that day? Having seen that group of people, it's interesting God doesn't see fit to reveal the sermon on that day. He doesn't tell us what Jesus taught about that day. He tells us about some other things that happened on that day, but He doesn't inform us of the sermon. But I can't help but wonder if Jesus taught on that day about the Good Shepherd. You know, He calls Himself the Good Shepherd in the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. And as I think about that, I think about the needs of the people. What Jesus saw in having compassion upon them. You know... His text could have been from Psalm 23, couldn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. There's some things in that passage that the shepherd, a good shepherd does. Number one, he supplies the needs of the people. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That word want literally means to go lacking. He said, I won't go lacking because the Lord is my shepherd. Folks, have you ever thought about this? If you're in want, if you're lacking something in your life, then it's obvious that you're not being led by the good shepherd. You're being shepherded and being led in life by something else or someone else. Sometimes we let our job shepherd us, don't we? We worry about our job. We worry about making a living lest we become restless and feverish with activity and frustrated and all of the things that come along with it. Sometimes we let education be our shepherd, don't we? Uh, we're constantly being disillusioned by things, and you know, at least many people in our world today are. We have to be very careful. If another person is our shepherd, then we're very apt to be disillusioned, or disappointed rather, and ultimately be left empty by that person when that person messes up. But the good shepherd, God, the Lord, being our shepherd, supplies our needs. Verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 23 say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. See, He's giving us the things that we need. But not only that, when we think about the good shepherd, we know that the shepherd protects. That's your next blank. 
He gives us protection. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Not only are you with me, but notice what he says next. Your rod and your staff, they're of a comfort to me. What are you going to do with a rod and a staff? You're going to keep me from going astray, and you're going to keep lions and bears and other kind of things from attacking me. And so we have the protection of the Lord. You know what? We're promised that even today. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Don't let those things shepherd you. Be content with what you have, for He has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. But He did not stop there. What else did He say in that passage? Verse 6, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, we have the protection of our Lord as He is with us each day. But not only that, next, that good shepherd saves his people. Remember toward the end of Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 1 Peter chapter 5, at verse number 4, speaks about the chief shepherd appearing, that chief shepherd being Christ. And he tells the elders to whom he's writing on that occasion that they will receive the unfading crown of glory. But, but when is that? What does that mean? Well, in verse number 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he talks about the receiving of that which is unfading in heaven. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. These sheep who were harassed and helpless, who were going astray, Jesus begins to teach them. Give them that counsel. And though God doesn't tell us what He said on that day, we can only imagine what a great sermon that one would have been from the lips of our Lord. <clears throat> Folks, as we begin to bring this lesson to a close this morning, by Jesus' own actions, He makes it clear that we, like Him, is it that who we're trying to be like, that we, like Him, must be looking outward. You know, our theme for the years, inward, outward, and upward. And I said that we'd be discussing on... Uh, each month uh, this year, we'd talk about a lesson dealing with something inward, a lesson dealing with something outward, and a lesson dealing with something upward. But Jesus is teaching us that we need to be looking outward. When was the last time you took a good look at the crowds that surround you? Think about that for a minute. All of the crowds that surround you, all of the people with whom you are associated, not just at church, the ones you go to school with, the ones you go to church with, the ones that live on your street, your friends, your neighbors. When was the last time you really 
looked at the crowds around you. Not just the friends and neighbors, but all those other folks as well. But may I ask you this question? When you, when you did that outward look like that, what did you feel? That's your next blank. What did you feel when you looked on the news and saw the crowds? The riots, the protests, the marches, all of the things that are going on. Did you feel contempt for people? Did you feel dismay over what you see? Did you feel complacency? There's nothing I can do about it. What did you feel? May I suggest to us this morning that we needed to be feeling what Jesus felt. Compassion that moves us to do something about it. In our world, 151,600 people on average die each day. The great majority of them are unprepared. That works out to be about 6,316 people per hour who die worldwide. This lesson being approximately 30 minutes means that some 3,000 people have died since the beginning of this lesson worldwide. In the United States of America each year, on average, there are 7,200 people who die each day. That works out to about 300 per hour in the United States of America. Half an hour, 150 people died in America while we've been listening to this lesson. In Alabama, on average, 142 people die each day. That's getting real close to home, isn't it? That's almost... Six people per hour. In a 30-minute lesson this morning, about three in the state of Alabama have gone to meet their Lord. Out of all those who die, most of them are unprepared. The vast majority of them are unprepared because they do not have a right relationship with Jesus. Thus, they are without hope. They're harassed and they're helpless without the Good Shepherd. Let me take you back to the book of Matthew. Our main text has been from Mark, but let me take you back to Matthew before we close our lesson. That, that passage where he talks about the sheep that he mentioned earlier, verses 36 through 38, when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Jesus tells his disciples, hey folks, not only do I have compassion, you need to be looking too. There are a lot of people out there who need help. They need salvation. They need the great and good shepherd. Pray that the Lord will send out, the Lord of harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. Who? That's your blank. Who's the Lord of harvest going to send? Isaiah chapter 6 at verse number 8. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? That's the question I'm asking this morning. Isaiah said, Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Are you ready to go this morning? As you look outward. Or we just see the crowd and disregard the example of Jesus. Turn your head. Forget about them. Leave them helpless and harassed. And let the roaring lion devour their soul. Jesus saw the crowds. Not only do we look inward, we must look outward. And that's one of the things that we want to emphasize in our work this year. Becoming more apt to look at the crowd. Maybe you're here this morning and you too, being helpless and harassed, need the great and good shepherd. He invites you to come and be a part of his flock by being baptized for the remission of your sins. Having your sins washed in his blood. And he'll be there with you and for you to protect you even to the end. And he will indeed save you. Maybe you're here and there's something that stands between you and him. And you need to come back to the fold. Even though you are baptized, you need to come back to Him. Whatever the case may be, if you need to respond to His invitation, do it right now as we stand and sing.